as I said before, don't worry about the youngsters and uh, that's fine. We're just only too happy to have them with us. I've got a few questions to start with and the, the actual title I've put over this this morning is Who do you know? Who do you know? Okay. Who's heard of Paul McCartney? You can't put your hand up. This is the audience participation bit. You can put your hand up. So, who's heard of Paul McCartney? Yes, the next question. Who knows Paul McCartney? Whoa. <laughs> no hands going up? No. You've all heard about him. But you don't know him. You know that he's from Liverpool. Uh, some of the youngsters, I might, I might have to explain this bit. He was a member of a group called the Beatles. You might not remember them. It's quite a while ago. But you will have heard his music. You will have heard it on social media. You might have CDs. You might even have, and we were talking about these things earlier, those vinyl records. And if you don't know what they are, then come and ask me later and I'll explain. You may have even seen him in concert. You know about him. Well, you don't know him. I don't know him. Here's an interesting fact. And it's relative to around here. You see, if you go out onto the East Lanks, and this information comes from his brother, Mike. Mike McCartney. He goes under the stage name of Mike McGear. But it's Paul McCartney's brother. And he says in his book that between what we know as the Vikings landing and going down to Holm Bargain, there was a big factory there on the left-hand side of the East Lancashire Road. It was called Napier, or better known as the English Electric. And let me tell you what it was. It was a big factory that was built here for the purpose of the war. They moved it away from London so that the manufacturing of the um, armoury that was needed and some of the plane parts that were needed, they moved it up to here, out of the way of the German bombers. And they also built some prefabs. Now, if you don't know what a prefab is, ask me later. There were quite a lot of them around here. And if you go just a little bit further up the lanks towards the copper pots, if you look across on the other side of these lanks, there's a great big factory there. It's a newspaper place. And on that site, that's where these prefabs were, and they were built for the munitions workers during the war years. Now, the interesting thing is that Paul McCartney's dad worked in the English electorate. And they moved into those prefabs just off the East Lanks. And when Paul was a baby, that's where the McCartneys lived. Now, they lived in a road called Roach Avenue. And Roach Avenue was off Wheat Road. And I lived in Wheat Road. How about that? Now, I now know about him, but I didn't know him then, and I don't know him now. So there's a little bit of um, local history relative to Paul McCartney. But what, what I really want to bring over to you is this, that there's a big difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. That's the reality of life. A lot of us might know an awful lot about Paul McCartney, 
but we don't know him. You probably guessed by now that we're not here this morning to talk about a famous person. But we are here this morning to talk about the person who is, now get this, God with us. Okay, that's who we're here to talk about on this Good Friday morning, God with us. Now, let me explain that to you. We go to Matthew's Gospel in the first chapter. We know these words very well. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what Matthew tells us in his Gospel. You see, Jesus is his name. He is the Christ, and he is the one who is God with us. Okay. You know, I've got a name, Teddy. When I worked, I had a job. I was a printer. So that's things about me. And in Jesus, when we look at Jesus, that is his name. He is the Christ. And he will be known as the person who he is. God with us. And we know this, you know, how I know that you know this. Because every Christmas we celebrate his birth. We have a great time at Christmas, don't we? It really is a good time. Families get together. We have prezies. And we, uh, you know, I <laughs> wasn't so long ago that I stopped hanging my pillowcase up. But, you know, it's a great time. But the important thing about that is that that's when Jesus was born. Jesus, the man, the man who is God with us. That's when he came to be with us. We know that he was born. We also know that when he walked the streets of Judea, when he went into the city of Jerusalem and all those surrounding villages, we know what he was doing. We know that the blind were being able to see, the lame were able to walk, the deaf were able to hear. Jesus said and did many things showing us who he really is. We go to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You've heard of them, they're all here in our Bibles. And they talk about those things that Jesus did. Why do they talk about them? Because they saw him do it. They talk about the things that Jesus said. Why did they do that? Because they know the things that Jesus said. You see, they were what we call witnesses. Now, you go to court. When a witness stands up in court, they have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what a witness is. And if the witness deviates and starts to give an opinion, the judge will stop them and say, that's not relative. I just want to know what you know, what you heard, and what you saw. And I don't really want you to tell me why and wherefore. I just want you to tell me what you actually know. And that's a witness. And the witnesses for us of Jesus, of the things he did and the things he said, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And some of the evidence is we still celebrate Christmas and we're remembering Good Friday and we're going to celebrate Easter. And on Good Friday, Jesus was betrayed. He was betrayed by a so-called friend. We know that he was arrested in the garden late at night. We know that he was taken to a kangaroo court 
held by the most powerful men in the city, the scribes and the Pharisees, the high priest. They brought witnesses, but they were witnesses who didn't witness. They were liars who came and told lies. And on the basis of that, those authorities used those liars to build a case against an innocent man. He was pronounced as being guilty. He was taken to Pilate because he was the Roman authority. He was the one who had the authority to pass the death sentence. The people who arrested him and tried him couldn't do that. So he went to Pilate. And Pilate didn't want to do that. He actually said he's innocent. But, you know, he, he, he didn't want to upset things at this particular time of year, the Passover time. And so he yielded to what they wanted. And we know that he was beaten, humiliated. He was nailed to a cross where he died. The prophet Isaiah tells us something about Jesus, something that we need to know. There's a lot of things we need to know. But I just want to share this thought from the prophet Isaiah. This is what he said, long before it happened, he's talking about Jesus. And I want you to just listen carefully to what the prophet says he will be like. Okay, we expect somebody who becomes famous and was like he was to be somebody who would be, you know, maybe attractive, maybe, you know, really charismatic, really. But that wasn't what he came to bring. He didn't bring that side of his personality. He brought the God side of who he was. But as a man, Isaiah said, Who's believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Right. Who's believed and who's been told? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Get that? Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hid their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem matthew mark luke and john draw that picture for us of the person who is jesus god with us and you know that picture hasn't changed does it He's still despised. He's still rejected. By the world. We need to think about that. And with that thought in mind, just for a few moments, I want us to go to the cross. I want you to come with me. I want you to come and stand at the foot of the cross. Can you do that? You know, just think. Go back and think, what was it like? would have been hot would have been thousands of people there maybe a million people in the city the city is packed they would have all heard about what was happening and they would have gone to that place called Golgotha the place of the skull and they stood around and they saw and they heard now what I'm going to do I'm going to read a passage from Luke's gospel Luke is telling us these things and this is what he said it's Luke chapter 23 and it's verse 26 to the 43. 
So I want you to listen carefully. And as I said, imagine yourselves being there when this is happening. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wounds that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? He was talking about the fact that he was there, he was the water of life. And if people wouldn't come then, how difficult would it be for people to come later? But then he goes on, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Imagine that. He's suffering on the cross. He's going through all those agonies. And he looks down at those people who were there, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and does. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's just stop for a few moments. You know, all those people who were there, they were just like us. You know, they'd be young, old, mothers, fathers, babies, teenagers, grandmothers, granddads, aunties, uncles, all the religious leaders, scribes and the Pharisees. They were all there, all different, all individual, just like us. They knew about Jesus and they saw Jesus hanging on the cross some of them would have seen him when he was preaching in Jerusalem and in Judea they heard the words of Jesus as he spoke those words from the cross some of which were Father forgive them for they know not what they do and some of them would have heard his words as he spoke in the villages and the cities prior to his arrest and crucifixion some saw his grief and pain 
and they wept for him. Now just hold that thought as we go through this next little bit. Some saw his grief, his pain, and they wept for him. Some stole his clothes, the soldiers, and they gambled for them. Others watched while the so-called religious people sneered at him. Some mocked him. One of the criminals who was hanging next to him, he insulted him. As we stand around this morning, there's the question, which group of people do I stand with? Which group of people do you stand with? They knew about Jesus. Maybe when you think about that, your mind might go through all those people and you'll say, well, I wouldn't do this. And I wouldn't do that. And I wouldn't be like him. I wouldn't be like her. I wouldn't be like them. Maybe it's with the women who also saw his pain and his agony. The women who took pity on him and the women who wept. Now let me just clear up one point first before I continue. It is right that we should weep. It's right that we should weep when we see someone in pain, someone in agony, someone struggling. Jesus hung on that cross in more pain and more agony than any one of us could ever imagine. It's right that we should weep at the loss of a loved one. You know, we men are reluctant to do this. We work hard not to. That's not really right. It's right to weep at the loss of a loved one. Mary, Jesus' mother, was there. The other disciples had fled. Peter had gone into the courtyard where he denied knowing Jesus. And the only one disciple who was there was John. John was the youngest one. John was the one who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote the letters, John, John 1 and 2, and who wrote the book of Revelation. And he was the only disciple there at the side of the cross. And Jesus said, John, this is your mother, Mary. And to Mary, this is your son. See, he had compassion on them. He saw their grief and their sorrow and their pain. And he ministered to them. But here's the question. And this is what I want you to think about this morning. Why did Jesus tell them not to weep for him? Why? Why would he say that? Don't weep for me. Let's be clear. He wasn't saying, don't weep. He was saying, weep for yourselves. These are the words of compassion. They're an expression of the love that Jesus had for all of them people there, for all of the people he'd spoken to during his earthly ministry, and for you and I today. The words of compassion. He's saying, don't weep for me. But weep for yourself. You see, 
He knew. That their need. Was our need. Even at that point. Was far greater than his. Jesus was suffering and grieving for them. And for us. Now. If you listen to the reading, you'll have picked up by now that there's somebody I left out. Someone else who was there at the cross. There were two thieves. One cursed Jesus. I haven't mentioned the other one yet. So I'm going to finish by mentioning him. He said this. Because, you see, in his last moments, he knew not just who Jesus was. He knew Jesus. And he trusted in who Jesus is. He turned to the other thief and said to him, now get the picture, he's hanging on a cross. In between him and the other thief is Jesus. And he turns and looks across Jesus to that other thief. And he says, Don't you fear God? Remember, he's in agony as well. The words wouldn't have come that easy. Maybe he struggled to speak, but he found enough strength to say to this other thief, Don't you fear God? What we're having here is a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. You get that? About knowing someone. Just come in, lads, sit down. Be okay. The big difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. This man knew that Jesus was suffering, but he knew that Jesus was suffering for him. He said, listen to these words, he said, we're punished justly for we getting what our deeds deserve. Then he looks to Jesus and said, but this man, this man has done nothing wrong. He knew that. This man had done nothing wrong. He recognizes who Jesus was. The very fact that he said to the other thief, don't you fear God, meaning that he did, because he knew that Jesus is God. God with us, God with him. And he realized that in his dying moments. Never wait, well, you can, but it's dangerous to wait till your dying moment before you utter these words. But this is the only chance that this thief had, and he took it. He's done nothing wrong, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into my kingdom. Now, let's just get clear what's happening. This man wasn't asking for forgiveness from men. No, he'd already been condemned. He said they were right to do that. That's why I'm hanging on this cross. Just like you, the other thief. They're getting what we deserve. I'm not asking for forgiveness, forgiveness from the judges who condemned me or from the Roman soldiers who nailed me to this cross. This man, this thief, is not asking forgiveness for the crime that he's being punished for. He's asking for forgiveness from God. Forgiveness for the sinful nature that is him that led him to do what he did. Do you get that? 
And we all have that same sinful nature. It's not the individual things we do, it's our nature, that's who we are by nature. When the Bible speaks of evil here, it's speaking the act against God is an evil act, even if that act is lying to someone else. You're offending God, and that's the Bible uses that word quite often. And it does extend out to other things, but it comes all the way down to just, just, just selling those little white lies. Because they are an offense to God. That's our, our nature, that's who we are. And he's asking for forgiveness from God because he knows who Jesus is. For the sinful nature that separates him from God. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay, let's round it off. This man knew about Jesus and now he knows Jesus. How can we know Jesus in the way that this man did? Firstly, like that thief, we need to know who we are. Okay, not one of you here really knows who I am. And I know a lot of you here very well, but even I don't know you as well as you know yourself. There's always those little things, that side of our character that we keep covering. That's our sinful nature. We've all got that. And this man knew. It wasn't just that one crime he committed that put him there. It was his nature that led him to commit that crime. The nature that led him to commit the smallest of sin. Like maybe stealing a pencil from the office. That's if he worked in an office. But you get the point, don't you? Jesus is the one who died for sinners, such as him, such as me. That's why the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt from that. How serious that is, or how bad it is, it still comes under that same name. It just means we've offended God. So, as well as knowing who we are, the one who is in greater need than the man who hung on the cross, who was God with us. And that greater need is we need him. We need to know that on the cross, he defeated death, the tomb is empty, and he offers to be the one who will stand between us and God. Why and how can this happen? Well, I'm going to quote what is the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. And then I'm going to read a few verses that come after. And I want you to listen to those verses. The first verse, 16, that I'm going to read, you'll probably say, oh, I know that one. I've heard it before. I've seen it. Sometimes you'll see it um, held up on a placard in the football crowd. You know, John 3, 16, a lot of people say, what does that mean? Well, it means this is what I'm going to read now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Then that little passage goes on. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Then John continues. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world. See, this is a dark world we live in. And we need this light that's come into the world. And this is what John is telling us when he speaks about Jesus. He says, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You always hide somewhere, don't you? Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear of their deeds being exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they have done what, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So, who is Jesus? Again, from John's Gospel, John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again in the temple, this is when he was preaching in, in Jerusalem, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the eternal life that is promised to us. We're going to sing a hymn now. And it's 458. So while you're finding that, and while Stuart is coming up to the organ, uh, just think about the words, maybe read the words. You may have sung them before. It's called Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God. Okay, this is God with us. <laughs> 